Hi, and welcome to Stefan Levero Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today, for episode 346, my guest is Nicholas Bertie of Galloy Money, and he rejoins me on the show, and we're talking about this idea of US dollar, and should that be in a Bitcoin wallet? And we talk about his work on this idea of creating synthetic USD as a way, a means of building this into the Bitcoin Beach wallet as an example. So we talk about the various ways of achieving this, why is it necessary, how to fund it, and what are some of the risks around it. This show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. Swan is the easy way to purchase Bitcoin and also learn about Bitcoin from many leading experts in the field. Now, if you are a high net worth investor or you want to set up an entity account like for your business, you can go to swanprivate.com. Swan Private gets you unlimited access to experts and seasoned hands, priding themselves on transparency and honesty. So with this, you get full support for trust, business, and other entity accounts. You get expert guidance on choosing the right custody option for your assets, as well as exclusive access to the Swan Private Insight monthly research report. So go to swanprivate.com to sign up. Lend at HodlHodl is a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-backed lending platform where you can lend or borrow stablecoins globally and anonymously. Sign up in just 30 seconds and borrow stablecoins without any verification. Deal directly with other people. Users control collateral together throughout the whole deal and all the interest is paid at the end. Now, on the other hand, if you have stablecoins, you can earn extra. You can lend them out at the highest returns, issuing over-collateralized loans with full interest guaranteed. Lend at HodlHodl. Lend and borrow stablecoins on your terms at your desired interest rates. No hidden fees. The terms and conditions are transparent. Go and check it out at lend.hodlhodl.com. If you want to get started with Bitcoin mining, Compass Mining is the world's first and largest online marketplace for Bitcoin mining, hardware, hosting, and ASIC reselling. Bitcoin mining is getting bigger, and so is Compass Mining. Compass is adding over 280 megawatts worth of hosting capacity this year alone, with more to come. That's over six times the current hosting capacity, and with Compass, anyone can mine Bitcoin. They've got all sorts of content on their website, such as the newsletter and podcast material, which you can use to get up to speed and stay up to speed on Bitcoin mining. That website is compassmining.io. On to the show with Nicholas. Nicholas, welcome to the show. So uh, there's lots been uh, going on since uh, we last spoke on the show. Of course, we had a chance to catch up in El Salvador, so that was great with uh, adopting bitcoin uh, and uh, do you want to just give us a bit of an update where are you at and what are you working on these days yeah sure so we, we met uh, back i guess in november for the first time in person at adoption bitcoin so we are uh, continuing to focus on our wallet in el salvador called the bitcoin beach wallet which is uh, very exciting to see how bitcoin adoption is is rolling out in, in el salvador we are also generally working on, so at Galloway as a company, we're working on open source software. Uh, the goal is to develop an open source framework to have banking on Bitcoin. One of the key features that we have been working for the last couple of months is the integration of USD into the wallet, which I think is something we want to discuss more today. Right. And I think the other point that's worthwhile talking about is when you're in Central America, South America, it seems that there is a stronger demand for stablecoins and USD value or representing USD value. So if you could just explain from your perspective that you've seen being on the ground, what, why is that and why is, there, why, why is that so important? 
Yeah, so if you, I mean, if you live in, in the US, you know, you have USD as your you know, checking account. And of course, uh, getting exposure to Bitcoin is great because then you can have a tool that can uh, beat inflation. But if you're living in a country that is not on the USD standard, um, first, you know, getting access to USD is already a huge improvement compared to, to your local currency because this local currency has probably much higher inflation than USD. And, and therefore, like, if you can get USD, it's great, you know, then your, your inflation is much lower than maybe the inflation in your country, right, with your local currency. One of the advantages of USD is the uh, overall low volatility compared to, to Bitcoin, especially in the short term, right? So if you're like a, a merchant or if you're someone that have that need to uh, that have USD obligation in you know tomorrow or next week or next month, it's good to have this. If you need to pay hundred dollar in a month, it's good to have hundred dollar in your checking account so that you can you know you can you can pay it in a month, right? Um, and so, the for me the idea is that you can think of USD can be your checking account and maybe BTC can be your saving account, right? And so if you have money, you know you don't need you don't have obligation in the short term, you know, then it makes a lot of sense to convert it to BTC and save it for the long run. But yeah, uh, for a lot of people, for instance, in, in El Salvador. Uh, like merchant, you know, that, that doesn't have a lot of saving, right? Uh, having USD for them makes sense because they know that uh, they have the assurance that, you know, even if Bitcoin were to do minus 50% over two months, which happened, uh, they can still pay their bill, right? And this is key. So it's basically the first step uh, if you're in developing countries to make sure that you have uh, enough money to pay your recurring bill. And when you get to this stage and you have extra savings, then you can convert it to, to Bitcoin. And one of the, I guess, uh, challenging points is to move from your local currency to Bitcoin directly, right? It's, it's like you make two steps at a time. And so having the option to get some form of USD in, in your wallet is, um, is a great addition to have a, a BTC wallet. And I can understand that there might be some difficulty operating in if you're trying to operate in an open source world, but then also still interacting and interfacing with the fiat banking system. So do you have any thoughts or uh, ideas to share on how to achieve that or at least how you're thinking about that? Yeah, it's actually challenging, right? Because if you think as a Bitcoin environment, Bitcoin, the, the the real advantage of Bitcoin is it is permissionless, right? So like, if you can buy Bitcoin somewhere, you can take possession of it, you are the bearer assets of this Bitcoin. It also makes it straightforward to launch like a Bitcoin bank, like in Azonte, uh, in, in El Salvador, like we did 18 months ago, as a, an experimental project. And we see that now this experiment is being replicated in other places, like, like in, in Costa Rica with Bitcoin Jiggle. And basically, you don't need permission, right, to start a Bitcoin bank. Uh, or, or just, you know, get Bitcoin in your non-custodial wallet. But as soon as you want to get USD, then you need to think about how will you be sourcing this uh, USD, right? Probably the most uh, common option in the, I would say, broader crypto sphere is to get stablecoin. And so, you know, you can, you can send uh, Bitcoin to some exchange and maybe you get, you buy USDT with it. But then you have a, an issue with this USDT 
like you okay i i have maybe usdt on my bitfinex account so what, what should i do with it right i can leave it on the exchange but if i want to take possession of it i need to withdraw it to some wallet and usdt is great because it's compatible with many network but it's also a downside that is compatible with many network right and so do you want to withdraw it on liquid do you want to withdraw it on bitcoin layer one you know the only layer or to some other protocol like Ethereum or Tron. And, and, and because it's compatible with so many protocols, it's like, it's not very, um, like maybe if you have, uh, I have USDT on, on Liquid, you have US, uh, and you show me a QR code, which is like from Ethereum, right? And I cannot send money to you, right? So like, it's it's not very compatible um, between wallets. It seems to be on the same protocol. And so stablecoin have, uh, have downside. Um, one of the other downside of stablecoin is that you, you're also trusting the issuer, right? And so now you, so stablecoin are great because they are like, they are a bridge between maybe permission less money that Bitcoin is and fully permission USD that, you know, the USD in, in the fiat system is. You can still get some, some stablecoin in a semi permission way. I mean, you, you still trust there is an issuer, maybe Tether. And you trust that, you know, they really have the money somewhere. So there is some trust involved, but it's, it's still less permission than having USD in a bank account. So there is, there is some great trade-off for, for stablecoin. But one of the biggest yeah, drawback is this interoperability issue. And also the fact that on many protocols, there will be high fee, right? So if you have uh, USDT and it's on your Ethereum wallet and the gas fee are high and you need to pay $10 to send it to another wallet. Then the use case that we are targeting on our side, which is really using Bitcoin as money, is that you need to be able to buy your coffee with, uh, with it, right? If you're in Azonte and you have a you know, $5 bid, you should be able to, to pay for it. If you have to pay $10 in fees, like it doesn't work. So, yeah, there is some limitation with stablecoin. Yeah, so just to summarize, then there are different uh, technological approaches, and I guess as you were just saying, there are stable coins like Tether, and they can operate on different networks. But then there might be issues around interoperability, uh, and so I guess this also comes back to the way you're building things with Galoy. You are developing banking software, and you're trying to make it Bitcoin friendly, Bitcoin native, and be open source. And so, could you tell us a little bit about that choice and why you 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 know you're going that way? Yeah, so we're building open source software, right, uh, and on open source money. And we think there is a, I said there is a limit in the compatibility with accuracy because it's on so many protocols. But if you think about, you know, is there a shelling point where maybe a lot of the industry is going that will create this like compatibility layer? And for me, the answer is Lightning because Lightning is, which is a layer two on top of Bitcoin, the, the layer one. Uh, bring uh, instant settlement. So now I can send money from me to you. It's, it's like almost instant. And there is also no counterparty risk with, with Lightning, which is which is a key. So like if I'm able to somehow convert my my, my USD, whether it's like a, in a bank account or in some other way or, or in, in a stable coin, but when I send a payment, if I can send it to Lightning, then you, know, you as a recipient, you can have any wallet as long as it's compatible on Lightning, you, know, you can receive the money, right? And and maybe your wallet is just like a, a Lightning wallet, and in that case, you know, I will send you Sats, even if it's you know it's come from some source of USD, 
I sent you that and you receive that and maybe your wallet will convert it to you or maybe your wallet will convert it to another another currency after it's being received. But the way to send the money is really using Bitcoin the Bitcoin the network, not Bitcoin the store value, but really Bitcoin the, the penalty sent to Lightning. And yeah, this works because we have Lightning. Right. And so if you could just give a bit of an overview of um, the the Galoi software that's out there in the wild, just so people get an idea. So obviously it started with the Bitcoin Beach wallet in El Salvador. Yeah, yeah. So we start uh, working on the software stack uh, 18 months, uh, close to two, two years ago now. So, so what we have is really like a, a, an open source, different repository that's allow anyone to launch their own wallet uh, using Bitcoin and Lightning and also ways to connect to a fiat environment. So we have a, a set of repositories, we have a, a backend, we have a web wallet, we have a mobile wallet, we have a, a tipping services. We're also working on a dealer, which is a bot to trade between fiat and, and, and Bitcoin. And so anyone can just fork a repository and launch their own wallet. A company that, uh, a project that did that uh, last month that is getting traction is called Bitcoin Jungle, for instance. And they are, they have launched a wallet in, in Costa Rica. And now they have, um, I think, some thousand of users is, you know, using their wallet to get Bitcoin. And, and, and this team in, in Costa Rica is not trying to replicate the success of Bitcoin Beach in Azante to get uh, adoption in Costa Rica. And the fact that, you know, our, Stack is open source, you know, it allows anyone to launch their own, their own wallet, effectively. Right, and it's really cool that uh, anyone out there in the world can just take it and try to replicate it. And I suppose I'm curious as well, in your mind, while we're here, how essential was it that in the case of El Zonte, there was a donor who sort of seeded the town or the project? Do you think that's an important aspect of it, or do you think it can sort of build up off its own steam? I think it's really helpful to have someone that seeds a project, you know, um, a, a donor is a, is a good way to do it. There is also the fact that the team in Elizante also was very good at bringing attention about El Salvador, you know, bringing Bitcoin in, in Elizante. Mac Peterson have done a, a tremendous job, you know, like bringing awareness of the, of the Bitcoin community, right, about El Salvador. This is how I learned about it. Um, and why I, I was like, okay, it's, it's really a good project. I want to you know, be part of it. Um, so it's, it's a set of, uh, you know, contacts. But if, if you look at uh, Bitcoin Jungle, for instance, uh, there is three people that are starting this project, right? Uh, they have an entrepreneurial mindset. You know, it's not like there is a donor per se, but there is like a, a small team driving this with... Uh, technical expertise and also like economic, you know, understanding of how you know uh, are they going to to how they're going to make this work, and and they're doing it in a not it, it's it's a not for profit uh, way, but you know they they think about okay you know there will be costs associated to running wallet and they are thinking about uh, having ATM so that they can also do this bridge between physical fiat and and Bitcoin and, and there is you know expenses related to that so they want to cover their expenses. Which is great because if they can show to also the Bitcoin community at large that hey you can launch this wallet and you can you know it, it is self sustainable you can make some money out of it and it's a great way for all around the world having this Bitcoin Beach like project popping up and this is how we can you know see it in every country 
and show to maybe s- some of the local government or you know government at the state level that hey you know there is this initiative that is going on and look it's very good for uh, tourism it's very good for economic prosperity in this area so maybe we should look more into this yeah and so the idea then is that if there's news and tourists come and so on it builds opportunities in the space and of course it's a big learning uh, opportunity for a lot of people because for them it's their first time using bitcoin and so i think that's potentially what we were bringing it, we were getting at as well around the use of us dollar value in some of the wallets that are there for the beginners who are new to, B- to new to bitcoin uh, and so what does it look like for those people when they're learning about using bitcoin and starting with lightning but then also wanting a US dollar representation of that value as opposed to, let's say, the orange-pilled person who's already thinking in sats and values their net worth in sats. Yeah, so one of the first learnings that we got uh, initially was that, so initially the wallet was in sats, right? Like you you will only see sats and maybe there was a few screens where you had like a US dollar equivalent. But the the first thing was like, no, we we really need to show, uh, you know, center in the wallet that. You know, this is the amount of dollar you're sending. This is the amount of dollar you're receiving. Even if there is a SAT equivalent, it's true. Because people think in SAT, right? Uh, sorry, people uh, think in, in dollar. And you want to help them understand what is SAT, you know, what they should understand. What, what, right? Because the value change between you know, SATs and dollar, everything like that. But really, you, you, your bill in, in El Salvador, if you go to McDonald's or go to a restaurant in Azonte is, you know, it's, it's a dollar bill, right? Uh, at the end of the day, the, the price are still in dollar. And so you want to make sure in the wallet that the, there is a notion of dollar. But the wallet currently is really a wallet that have BTC in the wallet. And therefore, it's as a price of BTC to USD change, you know, the USD value in a wallet is changing. And so this is obviously great if you know you're in a, a, a bull market. It's uh, not that great if the price of Bitcoin is, is is going down. And so people are looking to get USD in their Lightning wallet, right? And so that like now they can transact with this broader ecosystem. So if they go to a restaurant in El Salvador that have a Lightning wallet, you know they will want to send money to this wallet. But they want to keep maybe hundred dollars in their wallet. They don't necessarily want to have like 100,000 sets. Um, and so this is a problem we have been looking at and we, we are trying to resolve. And so when you think about how to do that from the rate of, from, from the perspective of like a, a custodial or shared custody rate like we do is that, okay, there can be maybe, you know, a thousand users in the wallet and they each have $10. So maybe in aggregate you have $10,000. And so you need, you need a way to store this $10,000, right? So one of the first things you can think of is, okay, I can get a bank account in, in the bank and I can put this $10,000 and then I'm, I'm good, right? Uh, it, it's probably the safest way to, to go because if you have a money in the bank, you know, assuming they have a banking license and I mean, the risk is, you still have a risk that the bank will fail. There is some counterparty risk, but this risk is, is not necessarily extreme. And the challenge, but the challenge here is that you need to have a bank that accept to give you what we call an omnibus account, which is like a bank where, you know, there is a multiple people that have money in this account, right? And you as a wallet provider, you know, you need to maintain the ledger. And, and so there is a, there is a very high bar for a, a, a Bitcoin company to get uh, access to an omnibus account. So this is a, 
a great option, but it's also very hard. And this is when I come back to the idea of like permission less money versus permission money. Here you're really going forward the very permission side of, of the money because you need you need the bank to agree on what you you, you are doing. Right? Uh, another way to look into it is you could say okay maybe I will use a stablecoin in the backend, right? So so now you you don't expose stablecoin to the end user, but if the user is sending you some money over Lightning and say, okay, I want to store this money in USD. What you can do is that uh, as a, I would say the, the maintainer of the wallet, you can say, okay, you know, I receive some sats, $5 in equivalent of for $5. And I, I will basically send those sats to a, a, an exchange and I will buy USDT with it. And, and then you keep your, the $5 that this user sent you in a, an account where you have USDT. And this is, Easier to do from a regulatory standpoint because now you don't have to convince the every bank. You know you have to have an account, uh, an account as an exchange. This is easier to 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 do. There is a third option which is to use derivative market, and this is the one we have been developing for for some time now. The idea is that if you want to get an equivalent of five dollar in your wallet and you don't want the value in change in dollar, if you get some sets in your Lightning wallet, you can go to a derivative exchange and sell a position on this derivative exchange so that for every $5 you have in Bitcoin, you have like minus $5 in the derivative exchange. So that like as the price of Bitcoin change, you know, all the gain you will have or all the loss you will have in, in the uh, in the physical Bitcoin, you will have an opposite set of trade in the derivative uh, on the derivative market. And so at the end of the day, you know, the Bitcoin of the value of Bitcoin can change, you know, you still have the same amount of dollar overall. So this is the third option. And the last option that is probably will be here in the future, it's it's uh, still a bit early, is the idea to use a DLC contract where you find a counterparty and say, hey, you know, I, I, I just want $5 and we are trusting uh, an oracle that, you know, like, okay, maybe in a month from now, you know, like the value of our, the number of sets will change depending on how the price of uh, Bitcoin has been changing. Uh, the use of DLC contract is something that I'm, I'm very bullish on, but also, uh, I think, far away. So it might still take a few years before we have this like DLC contract. The reason I really bullish about DLC contract is because then we will be able to have USD, an equivalent USD in, in the wallet with very minimal trust uh, to any counterparty, which is great. I see. Yeah. So let me just summarize those for, just for listeners so everyone's following along. So you outlined a few options there. So one is just straight, literally dollars in the bank account, and it's just managed centrally. And that's, I think everyone kind of understands basically how that would work. And then secondly, you were saying it would be like this idea of, well, doing something similar to that, but just stable coins and using stable coins to go out to the exchange. And maybe somebody who's managing that, let's say in this example, Bitcoin Beach, somebody who's managing that wallet has to go to the exchange and sort of do that role of moving stable coins into USD and back and forth. And then I guess the third option you're saying is somebody centralized, somebody centrally is doing like a derivative market action to have a net opposing position to the amount of USD value that the users of the entire, the aggregated users of all those accounts at that wallet. So let's say it's $10,000. They would need to have that opposing position of a derivative of that. And then the fourth option, as you're saying, is the future, hope, hopefully, if we get this idea of a DLC stablecoin or some kind of contract for difference option, then that would 
enable a similar kind of functionality where people who want to have some USD value can represent that inside their balance on the their account balance in the overall wallet. Have I have I got you right there? Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And so I guess probably the first few questions people might have would just be what happens in like times of big market movements? Like are there opportunities or risks there that let's say, especially in the case of the derivatives option, so probably options number three, where if let's say they're you know, like as an example, in ETFs there's this thing called tracking error where if the you're trying to track an index, but actually they weren't able to exactly track that index. So would a similar kind of thing happen here where maybe you couldn't track exactly the derivative position against what a lot of people were doing? And I mean, as an example, let's say the price is really you know, dumping hard really quickly. And so people are trying to get over to USD value, but let's say the derivatives, you know, people couldn't get over to that in time. Is that something you're, you've seen? I, and I guess you, you would have seen, obviously, big price moves in the last few months. Yeah, yeah. And so derivative is, uh, I guess, where we have done more of the work, work right now. The the main reason for why derivative is interesting is because of the something called the cash and carry trade. So what is cash and carry trade? The idea is that, in general, the price in future market is higher than the price of the spot market. Why is that the case? It is the case because... There's a lot of people that are very bullish on Bitcoin. They understand that, you know, over time, the price of Bitcoin tends to go up. And therefore, it's good to be long Bitcoin. And if you want to be very long Bitcoin, you'll leverage long Bitcoin. If you want to really leverage long Bitcoin, going to the derivative market is one of the easy ways to do it, right? And this tends to push the price in the derivative market, you know, up higher than in the spot market. And the idea of, of the cash and carry trade is to say that Okay, because the price in the derivative is higher, I can short the derivative, I can buy the spot, and I take this arbitrage of the difference between those two markets. And, you know, I can do this trade uh, over and over again. And if we look at, for instance, the exchange that we are using for our our bots, we use OKX, which is a a derivative platform that have Lightning enabled. We, on average, over the last year, the yield on this arbitrage is 18%, which is not negligible, right? It means if you have $1,000 in your wallet, a year after you have $1,180 in your wallet, right? So, so there is some, some uh, yield to be uh, generated from this uh, trade. Now, as you point out, this trade is not without risk because the risk is that if the market moves very quickly, because you have... A leverage position, right? You can get liquidated, right? And you, you don't want to get liquidated. So in our implementation, what we're doing is we... So, so the first thing to understand is that because we're using the... The reason why we get this yield is, is really because we take the opposite side of the trade versus what most traders are doing. So most traders are leverage long. Here, because we use the derivative protocol to hedge, we actually take the opposite side of the trade and we're short. And... Because we are short, you know, we get to get this yield. But also, we f- can think of what is the highest risk, right, of liquidation. Is it when we are typically long or is it when we, we are short? The Typically, a lot of the liquidation might happen where you're, you're long more than you're short. Uh, because, so, for instance, if you get a leverage of 3x, for instance, the price will need to move more than 33%, right, uh, before you get liquidated. And if you look at 
when is there like a price that, you know bitcoin move more than 32% over a very short time like let's say over you know less than an hour uh, if this happens this will happen typically when bitcoin go down versus when bitcoin go up right uh, of course if you have a bot that is very uh, you know reactive you will not get liquidity if you can just change your position right and you, and you can if if you need more collateral because suddenly in our case the price will go up quickly then we will send Bitcoin to the exchange and make sure like we have always, you know, a margin of collateral that is sufficient to ensure that given some backtests, you know, we, we never get liquidity. Basically. Back to the show in a moment. Have you thought about your Bitcoin security setup and single point of failure? Unchained Capital can help you with your Bitcoin security by upgrading to collaborative custody. So in this setup, you hold two keys in different locations and Unchained holds the third key. Now in, in this setup, you don't have to feel like you've lost all your coins if you lose one of your hardware wallets or something happens to it. Unchained are there to co-sign for you in that scenario. Now, you can set this up on your own. You go to unchained.com. But if you want guidance, they've got a concierge onboarding program. They'll ship you the wallets. They'll do some calls with you to get you set up. And then you will have your Bitcoin in a multi-signature vault. So that website is unchained.com. Select the concierge onboarding program and use the code Levera for a discount there. Coinkite.com are the creators of my favorite Bitcoin hardware wallet, the cold card. Now the cold card looks like a little calculator and it's an extremely versatile little device. You can use it in an air-gapped mode with a micro SD card to move the transaction information back and forth between the cold card and your computer and you can use it easily with wallets like spectre sparrow electrum and others and there's a new mark 4 version coming out so you check out my recent episode with nvk to hear more about that but it's got all sorts of new features most notably nfc which might make your bitcoin transaction experience a lot smoother so that website is coinkite.com use the code lavera to get a discount And finally, Brains. Brains are a Bitcoin mining company through and through, and they do Brains OS Plus. This is firmware for your ASIC machine. So you can install this and use the auto-tuning feature to optimize your performance and get more hash rate for your electricity bill. And they are the operators of Slushpool, the OG Bitcoin mining pool. Jack Dorsey uses them for his mining machine, which he mentioned. So go and check out Slushpool. And if you're using Brains OS Plus and you point your hash rate to Slushpool, you actually get 0% pool fees. And you're also supporting Stratum V2, the next generation pooled mining protocol. So go to brains.com. That's brains with two eyes. And now back to the show. I see. Yeah. So essentially it becomes around how much Bitcoin you are storing at the exchange uh, as your uh, margin so that you don't get liquidated while that's while these movements are occurring and so i guess how much manual management does it take for that uh, and on this you know, it's really a risk it's a risk parameter because if you're taking a short position you could actually get just a short position of one x or like minus one x and in that case you know you will not get liquidated but if you just use no leverage basically you just get uh, this short position of minor x then you are increasing your exposure of uh, an exchange risk right because then if the exchange got their money taken away then basically you will lose 100 percent of the dollar value that you have in the exchange but if you just use a leverage of swex then you basically you trade two-thirds of you know the exchange risk because now like if the exchange have an issue and you know you cannot redeem your, your bitcoin then 
you will lose this money. But uh, but now because you use some leverage, like you have some liquid liquidation exposure, right? So it's it's really about risk management. You can you can get to a stage where you have no liquidation risk, but you have full uh, exchange risk, or if you use some leverage, you you have less exchange risk, right? Uh, but then you have some uh, liquidation risk that you have to, to manage with, with a, your trading bot. So is the idea that the trading bot is just operating at one x? Or is it actually operating at a multiple level of leverage? Yeah, and so we have in our so in our GitHub repository, uh, Gallery Money, we have uh, a repository called Dealer where we have implemented this strategy. And currently, the default settings is to use a three x leverage, but it's something that you, have, you you can configure depending of your your risk appetite. I see. Yeah, yeah. And then who's doing the management of that? Is it the community who are like certain? Uh, I guess semi-trusted or community leaders, or who, who's doing that actual management of that aspect of it. So, so this uh, the, the idea of having USD as part of the gallery stack is still work in development. So currently, we are running like some tests in in uh, with with uh, exchanges, but it's not being rolled out to the general public, right? So currently, there is no. I see. Still in testing and development. The the idea is to bring this to the market in the upcoming. It should be ready on the back end in the coming few weeks and in mobile wallet in the coming few months. Cool. And so what kind of costs are involved? Because as you mentioned, there is the cash and carry trade. So depending on the, generally speaking, Bitcoin, I guess it's generally true that it's been in that contango position where the future price is higher than the current price. And therefore, you, yeah, if you're going the other way, that you're getting paid that premium. So is that the general idea then that the community, or let's hypothetically say, this is the feature that's getting rolled out. Is the community then going to get paid some funds or is there going to be a fee to pay in order to have that USD value valuation there available for the users of the wallet? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. How will this be rolled out? Uh, is depending of the... So at least on the gallery side, we're, uh, this tool would be available to people that deploy uh, wallet with our software. How they want to offer these services to their end user would be, you know, depending on them, right? Um, I, I expect initially to typically the the cash and carry trade can be used by the people doing the wallet to just fund their operation, right? It's, and this is exactly how banks work today. If you think about banks, you know, what typically they get is deposits, typically free deposit from the user. And they, they use this deposit to give loan to people so they can uh, do do things with the loan and hopefully they get paid back, you know, with some interest. And this is how one-on-one banks, you know, works. Uh, and so here in the wallet, you can think it's very similar, right? You get this deposit and you can get some yield. And, you know, similarly to banks, like, you know, banks may offer us to give the yield back to their user, uh, some part of it or all of it or depending on their, on their business model. Uh, another fee that you can think of, you know, as using the USD is there might be some spread to convert from USD to BTC. And, you know, how much spread do you want to charge is like, is a parameter that you can set, right? But the idea is like, do you want to charge, you know, 20 basis points? Do you want to charge 1%? Do you want to charge zero? Charging zero is risky because then, you know, people can try to maybe gamify your, your, conversion rate and if they see some some mismatch in parties they can try to exploit it so it's it's typically a good practice to charge some spread but this spread can be minimal right and if you i believe if we really want to get uh, bitcoin as money but still have the option to use usd where we can have you know 
your, your checking account, right? Your spread to convert from this USD to Lightning should be as much close to zero as possible. Because if you charge one or two percent, you know, like then there is a lot of friction, and you know, you, you might say, okay, like sure, I, maybe I'll, I'll do it one time to buy my Bitcoin and then I stay. But if you want to buy a coffee with it, uh, like you know, it should be really, you know, cents or even you know, sub cents, right, to do this uh, this payment. Um, but yeah, trading fees is another way as basically a wallet owner to also get some 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 revenue. This trading fee should also pass. I mean, the, the exchange is so to get this hedging position, the thing you also have to pay trading fees, right? So you also incentivize as a wallet to like just make sure that you don't lose money and whatever the exchange where you're hedging your position is charging you, you want probably to pass those fees to the end user. Right. So as an example, let's say you're operating one of these wallets, you've got uh, a bunch of users. And the idea is that if every time they're flipping between Bitcoin and USD, that you're charging them a trading fee, because in turn, when you go to your exchange, and you're doing your operations there, you're getting charged a trading fee. So the idea is you're sort of passing through the costs, or maybe there's a little bit of a extra profit there that you're using for some other kind of day to day management of the overall system and to help cover the running costs. So maybe that's one angle there. So as you were saying, oh, sorry, did you have something to add there? Yeah, one interesting aspect here is the you can. So I, I'm really striving for like if you want to use you know Bitcoin flowing you know seamlessly from your account, this this fee should be very very minimal. And one way you, you that is possible to also reduce those fees is that if you look at at the flow of the wallet and you see that overall maybe during a day like you know. There is as much USD that got out the that USD that got in, right? So, like, let's say we have this, you know, a thousand users that each have ten dollars. So there is ten thousand dollars be kept in in USD, and you, you know, there is like ten users that send hundred dollars. So there is like a thousand dollars going out, but the same day there is ten other users that get hundred dollars in. So basically, you start at ten thousand dollars at the beginning of the day. You know, maybe it, it fluctuates a little bit, but you end up at ten thousand dollars at the end of the day. Maybe you don't need to, you know, hedge your position further, like uh, on this day, and therefore you don't have this trading fee on the exchanges, right? Because you you just settle everything, you know, into a ledger, like within the within your own wallet, basically. Yeah. So you kind of do all that netting inside. So I guess walking that through as an example, let's say you have a thousand users in the in this overall wallet, each with an account within that wallet, let's say, and each of those users might have a Bitcoin balance and a USD balance. And what we're saying here in this example is, let's say they each have $10 in their USD balance. And so, of course, they might have been flipping back and forth between Bitcoin and USD, but just for the sake of this example, 1,000 users, each with $10 in their USD balance. So the overall balance is $10,000. And that's the balance that the, the management team having to deal with at the exchange. But as you're saying, if over the course of the day, some people had to take some money in and some people had to send some money out. You could net that all internally such that you minimize the amount of actual trading that has to go on at the exchange or at least changing the position size at the exchange. And so in aggregate, that wallet, the thousand users of that overall wallet have $1,000 or sorry, $10,000 USD that needs some kind of reflection out there in in one of those four options, as we said, right? Either at the bank account, either using stable coins or using the derivatives or using the DLC stable coins potentially in the future. So is that an accurate summary there? Yes. Yeah, gotcha. And so then I guess it just comes down to what kind of risks the community would be comfortable with, but also what are the benefits to them, right? Because the benefits for them are that people who are relatively 
new to Bitcoin can get eased into the process of being exposed to Bitcoin. And maybe over time, more and more users just say, no, I'm just going full Bitcoin. I don't need to do all this back and forth. But for people who are newer and need to be able to make payments in USD, well, then they're the ones who might need to sort of have a balance of both sides, like some Bitcoin and some USD balance. Uh, so is that the main, that's kind of the main benefit and risk there that you're that you're getting yeah at. exactly exactly and, and if you think about yeah your journey you know going from not knowing about bitcoin to you know measure ways in bitcoin there's like many steps the idea is that in developing country i see so much reason for why people might want to be plugged to lightning right because if you want not to receive money from another country and you have a lightning enabled wallet then you can send money instantly from any other place on earth and only lightning enables this right and for zero fee or very low fee um, at the beginning of your journey whether you know what you the sets you receive whether they settle in in in, in bitcoin or whether they settle in, in usd or maybe euro or maybe some other currency is it doesn't really matter what matters is that there should be as much people you know plugging to this network as possible right because the the lightning network is a network and the network will really grow to the like square of the number of users, right? So gram low. We, we want we want to plug as much people as possible to this network, right? So is is a step one probably if if you think about uh, Bitcoin adoption in developing country. And then after they can get used to this QR code and understand how you know this new payment system works, then they can obviously learn about the other aspects that are key to Bitcoin, the fact that it's uh, it's uh, it's permissionless. They can use it with a non-custodial wallet. It uh, cannot be censored, and you know, they, they, it's like protection against inflation. They can learn about this after, right? Why they use the wallet? Something that we learn from El Zonte is really that what's key is for people to start using the wallet. It's it's much better than you know trying to think about what is money and why like Bitcoin is superior form of money. You you really want to approach this from a practical standpoint, right? It just, you know, install this app, try it, send money to your phone, you know, uh, go to a shop and buy something with it. And and then you know, it will generate questions from you. And, and starting with a perspective where the way that you start using have a USD balance, you know, makes the hurdle to get started lower, in my opinion. Yeah. And so the other advantage I can see with this is you're getting at this idea of permissionlessness, because that means the user can have that USD representation without having to go and set up a bank account and all the same problems that are associated with having to or being able to set up your bank account because people get their accounts shut down or maybe they don't have the right KYC documentation required. Maybe they don't have the physical address or all these other requirements. Uh, so this is allowing them to have some sense of the best of both worlds, that they can have Bitcoin exposure, but also have some USD or retain some USD exposure if that's really what they want. If their bills and their outgoings are denominated in USD. So I guess that is relevant for lots of people, even even if you're in El Salvador and you can pay it in Bitcoin because you might still have an outgoing, let's say you have to pay your rent or you have to pay your staff and that, that contract or that agreement is denominated in USD, not in Bitcoin. So even if you can pay it in Bitcoin, if Bitcoin has just come down from 60,000 down to 37,000, like it is roughly right now, then you still have to find a way to come up with that shortfall, which is 
if you were doing it all directly natively in Bitcoin, well, then that's something you'd have to think about. So I, I guess it also does turn a little bit on how many users of that wallet are flipping between Bitcoin and USD in the course of that day, because there might be people during the day who are now saying, oh, I need to switch over um, to USD right now. And I guess this is something that, as an example, Chivo, I believe you can do this with Chivo, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so to, to your first point, yeah, I, I really believe that, you know, thinking about USD as your checking account, BTC as your saving account is the best framework, at least that I have. So that, like, yeah, yeah your expense of your month, you know, you should keep it in the denomination, the currency denomination of your obligation. So typically USD in El Salvador, but then the extra money that you have, you know, yes, uh, you know, buy USD with, uh, buy BTC with it. Uh, to, to your point about, um, uh, about Chivo, yes, Chivo, you can uh, go from uh, back and forth from USD to, to, to BTC. Uh, what we have seen, at least on Twitter, over the last couple of months is that they initially were saying, hey, you, know, you can move from BTC to USD seamlessly, and there was no fee initially. But because there was no fee, it basically it seems there was people that try to do some form of scalping where like basically you could say you, you, I think you had one or two minutes to say hey yes I, I confirm my trade between BTC and USD and so you could try to gamify it like okay I want to sell my Bitcoin but now I, I look at you know is the price going up or down I will only sell my Bitcoin if the price is going down after I have my quote right and, and I, I think now they are changing their strategy because I see that yeah, I mean Offering absolute, absolutely free conversion to their users can be uh, can, can be dangerous for because they can you know, people can abuse this trade basically. Yeah, yeah. So that's um that's something in general when you're um offering a quote and you're saying this quote is valid for this amount of time. Well, then people can try to play with your system there and yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a free option program. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. But I guess uh, the idea is you're you're making enough money overall as a business to make up for these kinds of things but yeah certainly this is and i mean in the case then let's say with the galloy stack would it do you know how like how are you thinking about that would that be offering them a free option or would it just be like uh you know exchange bitcoin to usd but you're just paying a trading fee yeah there will be some trading fee you know we, we want to strive to be very low you know it's, it's maybe in the you know 10 20 30 for 40 basis point i'm not sure yet and and the thing is it might change depending on the market condition uh, i think this is a key part so if basically the price is not moving much um, you can have a you know a, a very tight spread now if the market is moving rapidly because it's uh, you know there's it's in the middle of a liquidation cascade you know whether it's a short squeeze or a short long you know this is a scenario where you know you need to protect yourself by having a, a larger uh, spread so it's also very dependent of market condition i see and so the idea then is that this could be an option there for people to provide a usd value for the users out there and maybe longer term maybe the dlc stablecoin thing comes to fruition i guess is that how you're you're seeing this that they might move to people or even your wallet might move to that kind of solution in the future potentially yeah so so the way we are building uh, on the software side on our side like there is really the what we call the dealer part so the current implementation that we have for the dealer is using derivative contract but this could be moved eventually so there is an interface um, and you could build another 
dealers that could be for using fiat on a bank account or using stablecoin or in the future using DLC. So like the it will only be basically the how do you get USD that will change, you know, like in the back end. And this is a, a you could swap or you can even combine them. You can say, okay, I want to have you know fifty percent in stablecoin and maybe fifty percent in uh, like in derivative, right? So that like you limit your risk. Uh, and yeah, in the future, like any option should be uh, should be double. It's just that on our side, we just have, I would say, one example which is using derivative as of yet. And we think that is related to the, I guess, the wallet side. You know, the, the visible part for the user. Like this will not change. You could get um, stablecoin, or you could get um, yeah using derivative in the backend, or, or you know USD in a bank account. Like this should not change anything for your your day-to-day -day user using your wallet, right? And so this piece should. There should not be any change um, on this side. Right, and the cool part is that this is functional today. So was it uh, was it OKCoin you mentioned you're you're doing this with? Or? Yeah, yeah. The, the dealer we're using is, is OKCoin. So we look at the different uh, derivative uh, derivative uh, exchanges. We start with OKCoin because uh, OKX actually, not um, OKCoin, uh, because they are plugged to the Lightning system. Um, you know they have they have large volume. So the idea in the future is to make it more you know robust by having more options. We also currently use uh, Perp, but we could add also Future so that like because the risk profile between Perp and Future are a bit different. But uh, we use Perp to to get started. But the idea is really to have this interface for like you could yeah plug whatever dealer you want, and if you want to offer to your end user like some. Uh, USD in a bank account, you know, it, it, it would be possible. So. Yeah, so this could really open it up in terms of who could uh, op uh, onboard into using Bitcoin even in an incremental fashion, right, without having to be fully committed to the Bitcoin vision from day one. So I guess that's probably the advantage that I could see and that um, this could be replicated in many different communities all around the world. So that's probably the uh, the, the hope, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. I, I think the idea uh, is that it's today take a lot of engineering effort to come up with this type of solution. But by making it open source, right, anyone could, could start their own with like... So I, I'll come back to this uh, Bitcoin jungle uh, maybe one last time. So the, the reason I, I like you know uh, this project is because it's the first time you know, someone has been using our code in, without our involvement and they launched their own wallets on the Apple Store and the Play Store in two weeks from like not uh, knowing the, no, our code to have like a wallet functional uh, in, in a matter of only two weeks with two people on the team working on the engineering side, right? So it's like one month engineering to get from nothing to like a wallet working, which is just awesome, right? Because you think about the, the Bitcoin company, you know, like, uh, I don't know, the River or Strike, like they, they have a lot of engineering, right? Uh, or Swan, right? A lot of engineers are on their team to build this, uh, this software. And, and for me, Bitcoin reached a stage that this market is big enough that it, it's, uh, it makes sense to have, you know, open source solutions that exist that people can just adopt on their own. And I think it can really help to have yeah, a lot more solution in, in many, many countries uh, all around the world. Fantastic. So what are some of the steps that you see being required to make this, to make more people you know, take this idea on? Do you, do you think it's more about getting 
say, lots of news and stories showing this thing to give people that idea? Or do you think it needs to be like shown as a, as a success, you know, uh, in more and more countries or more and more examples outside of, say, El Zonte to show, oh, look, it didn't, it wasn't just one place, it's multiple places it's working in? I mean, I, I think for getting more Bitcoin uh, adoption around the world, especially in developing countries, these projects are really helpful. Um, and I think we saw what El Zonte did, right? Uh, on on our side, from you know the gallery side, the current limitation is the engineering, right? We we need still to do a lot of work to make it easy for anyone to to deploy their wallet. Luckily, the if if you know Kubernetes, if you know React Native, so there is different uh, stack on our tools that if you know them, you know you you can get very quickly to having your your app on on the App Store. But if you don't know them, it still like a, a many months process to, to, to get there. And so we, we are working out to, you know, like giving all the tools to make it very easy to, you know, to deploy your own wallet. But there is still a lot of engineering effort to make it uh, like a lot, a lot easier. One other thing when it comes to developing countries is just the generally low level of income or wealth that makes it difficult to save because people are living so close to hand to mouth or they're living very close to their level of uh, ability to feed themselves and do do all the normal essentials. So I guess that's one just general difficulty with getting Bitcoin adoption in these kinds of scenarios, isn't it? But, but but at the same time, I guess the flip side is for some people, it is a way for them to start saving that's more accessible than, say, buying a property or buying stocks. Yeah, and um, if you think about El Salvador, 70% of the population pre-Bitcoin law, I don't know how to think about this statistic today, but 70% pre-Bitcoin law didn't add a bank account. And so it's it's not even that, you know, you cannot... It's like you cannot save, you cannot get started, right? If you don't have a bank account, it's, I mean, property is not even on your mind. It's like you have to deal with physical cash all the time. You don't have another option. And even sending money to, you know, if you want to pay your electricity bill, basically you either need to take a bus and uh, pay the bill directly to, to the, you know, water provider, or you need to, you pay a third party that will take you cash and you know, take a fee just to, to pay your bill. And so just introducing lightning to this population you go from people who have no financial, uh, no no bank account, not any financial access to like they have one of the best tools, if not the best financial access you know, to the world. Um, and from here, you know, yes, they can start saving, uh, even if it's dollars. That's great because previously they would not think about saving. And in Azonte, yeah, like the you start introducing right the notion of saving to to the language, right? Um, because when you don't have a bank account, it's you, you don't even know how to get started with that. Right? The other question I have is also, what kind of other infrastructure is required? So just as an example, ATMs, being able to go from a Bitcoin ATM to get some cash out or being able to, let's say, have a peer-to-peer market or, let's say, being able to redeem in, say, a stable coin. How essential do you think these things are for developing countries who are looking to have communities take Bitcoin? How important is that broader infrastructure? So I think ATM is key because it's it, it's really a psychological reason that I see where you being exposed to you know this Bitcoin thing and you have no idea what this is and this you know it feels very digital you know because it is but if you're used to if you don't have a bank account and you're used to have physical bill to to pay for things money is very physical right it's it's not digital even though the dollar is digital they're already digital but um, for people living in developing countries, they, they 
that don't have access to bank account like money is physical. An ATM is a bridge between this like new form of money and the cash that they know, like the money that they already know. And and it helps, you know, see them that, yeah, I can push, I can put Bitcoin to this machine, I get cash, right? So like, maybe this is money because I can, I can change it whenever I want. Like it's uh, available. It's easily convertible. And so for this reason, I think ATM is key. Uh, also, the local market is something that has developed a bit naturally because you have all these merchants that receive this Bitcoin. And so you can go to this merchant and say, hey, you know, can I buy $100 worth of Bitcoin from you? And the, the merchant will typically say yes, right? And maybe they will have a spread on this. They will charge, you know, uh, $101 or something like that. But the peer-to-peer market is something that we saw also develop naturally. Fantastic. All right. Well, I think that's probably all we've got time for. So anything you wanted to finish off with for listeners and, uh, you know, what what should they be doing out there if they're interested to get involved in some way or use the technology in some way? So the best is to jump on our Slack channel. So if you go to our GitHub repository, it's Galoy Money, G-A-L-O-Y Money. And there is a link to our Slack. So join our Slack channel and yeah. Um, I mean, we need more eyes to have your code. So like if you're a developer, we'd be happy to, you know, to have you as part of our community. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Nicholas. I'll include that uh, GitHub link in the show notes for people. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Stefan. Get the show notes and the transcript over at stefanlevera.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the Citadels.